I'm Jackson Licka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, examining the emergence of artificial intelligence in ag, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added here as well. I also encourage you to mark your calendars and plan to attend the upcoming Precision Farming Dealer Summit, January 8th and 9th in Louisville. The theme of this dealer-only event is bridging the precision to profitability gap and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited and you can visit precisionfarmingdealersummit.com for more information and speaker updates. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. While advancing machine automation is a priority for many ag manufacturers to improve and simplify equipment performance, but creating smarter machines isn't without its challenges. Integrating artificial intelligence into the blueprints of tomorrow's equipment and technology is a work in progress as companies seek to create user-friendly, reliable platforms. Ohio State University agriculture and bioengineering professor Scott Shearer says manufacturers today are doing a decent job with progressing automation, but the industry is still a ways away from removing operators entirely from the cab. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, we welcome in Scott to discuss the current progress and future potential of artificial intelligence in agriculture. Just starting off, you know, I was curious what your perspective is uh, when we're talking about the artificial intelligence element in ag and, and where we're seeing things today and where some of that might be moving toward the future. Yeah, uh, when I begin thinking about artificial intelligence, I think uh, I think about many things. Obviously, I talk a lot about autonomous tractors, and artificial intelligence is going to be essential um, when we begin automating field machinery. I'm going to say the, the equipment manufacturers are doing a good job of it today in terms of the automation, but in order to remove that human from the operator's seat, we've got to go a little bit further yet. And so... That there's when we think about intelligence in a machine, there's an operator sitting on the machine that can react to a variety of situations. What we have to do is give the machine the ability to react, and that's where things get a little bit more complex or complicated in some respects. There's a lot of things that the the operator has at their disposal um, in order to make that immediate assessment about whether or not the the field operation is proceeding in an appropriate fashion. And so when we remove that operator, we have to think to ourselves, 
how are we going to replace that operator? And I'm just I'm talking about the sound of the machine, maybe the vibration of it, and a number of things like that. So mm-hmm. that's where I think it's going to get kind of interesting in terms of how we replace the operators. Also, when the machine encounters an obstacle or there's something that goes wrong, the question is, can it react to that situation and carry on, or do you need to send somebody out to the field to resolve the problem? And, mm-hmm. and so those are going to be the sorts of things, I think, that become very important in terms of success of autonomous field machinery. Now, on the other side, I think we can do a lot in the future. And what I'm really thinking about is the role of the crop scout in terms of managing the actively growing crop. Mm-hmm. Um, the Internet of Things, obviously, is going to give us a lot of sensor data that we've never had before. And that's going to be important when we begin looking at things such as weed and disease models, because we're going to be able to get a kind of a heads up or we're going to get advance notice of when some of these problems are going to occur. Now, the other end of it is we have a lot going on with remote sensing today, and I truly believe there's going to be opportunities with artificial intelligence to get closer to identifying what some of the uh, the crop health problems are from those flyovers. Now, having said that, <laughs> that's not going to be the only thing. Um, you know, today we still rely heavily on the crop scout to go out into the the field and and walk out into the field, look within the crop canopy to make that assessment. And so the question is, is how do we position machines in the future to do the same thing? A lot going on with rapid infield phenotyping right now. Um, A lot of people are looking at putting putting robots within the canopy, if you want to think of it that way. But but again, um, how can we do this in a practical manner and how can we be cost-effective when we do it? And, and those are going to be the things, I think, that become very important in the process in terms of the adoption of artificial intelligence. There has to be a return on that investment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, right now, with remote sensing, we don't see that return. There's a lot of startup companies trying to capture some of that market. But, you know, given the margins on crop production, I'm talking about corn and wheat and soybeans, um, that farmers just aren't beating down the doors necessarily of these remote sensing companies to get access to that imagery. On the other hand, if we go from that imagery into actionable information that makes the farmer money, then I think that's when things change. Right, and and obviously that return on investment is is a huge element here in kind of that model of obviously moving some of this forward. You talk a little bit about um, you know kind of some of the the robotic elements, and and I know we've talked in the past about you know kind of smaller, more efficient machinery that that might be in the fields in the future. But what are you seeing? How do you see kind of the the AI element playing into some of those uh, robotic? machines that we might see uh, maybe sooner sooner rather than later? Well, I think the first machines we're going to see in the field are going to be what I call supervised autonomy, okay? They're going to have a minder, a human, if you will, watching the performance of these machines. But hopefully we get to a point where that human watches maybe 10 to 15 machines. And by the way, they can probably do that from any location in the world. I think as we learn, if you will, how to react to some of these situations, that's when artificial intelligence begins to take over and we reduce our reliance on that human to monitor the situation. And I think that's going to be the progression. Uh, we're going to go from one person sitting on a machine to one person sitting in an office monitoring a machine to a person sitting in an office maybe monitoring a dozen or two dozen machines. And that's the progression. And, and as we learn more about how to uh, 
give that machine in the field intelligence will reduce our reliance on the human monitor, if you would. One of the things you mentioned uh, as well was the safety issue, and, and the sensing certainly comes into play when we're talking about that, uh, especially with autonomous vehicles. But what are some of your thoughts on, on how close we are to that? Because I know talking with companies, uh, that, that's a big hurdle to clear still with some of the, the safety and, and kind of even the liability elements uh, when we're talking autonomous vehicles. Well, the thing I want to remind everybody of is the fact that there are a lot of companies right now focused on automation in in terms of transportation and over-the-road or on highway use of of automation. My attitude is if you can manage the liability on public thoroughfares in downtown Los Angeles, (laughs) we can probably learn to manage the liability in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of Nebraska, okay? (laughs) I, I don't want to minimize this this importance of, right. of of liability because certainly we do have to sense on these machines impending danger and then obviously have the machine react to that. Um, the 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 human element is is always going to be a factor, and it it's, it's not necessarily going to be a factor uh, maybe within the cornfield, but how do you get these machines between fields? Um, when it's in when it's in the field and somebody's doing service work on it, how are you assuring that the machine's shut down and locked out so that nothing happens? I mean, th- there's going to be some of these challenges we have to work through. There's no question about it. I don't want to minimize the the importance of them, but we will learn to manage the safety aspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if we can do it with uh, cars on public thoroughfares, we can probably do it in a cornfield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, right, and obviously there's there's a number of different sectors, you know, that are, are moving forward uh, with developing this type of autonomous technology. Um, it's, it's certainly not exclusive to agriculture, but thinking about some of the, the service elements here and when we're talking about whether it's more electrically uh, built engines or, or machinery or, you know, the autonomous vehicles, certainly one of the, the ideas here is that it's going to be a simplification of, you know, current machinery uh, to run more efficient and, and longer. When kind of thinking about what kind of maintenance is going to be maybe needed for those types of machines, uh, do you see that as something that's going to be far less? Is it going to be a lot more manageable, something that's not necessarily going to be maintained as, as much as tractors or implements of today are? Well, immediately, the maintenance requirements are going to be the same as they are for manned machinery today. I mean, they're going to have to be serviced on a daily basis. More often than that, depending upon how many hours of day they're, how many hours per day they're being operated. Mm-hmm. Today, we work in 14, 16-hour um, cycles, if you will, and, and generally there's time to do maintenance when that machine's shut down. I know that some operations might go 24 hours a day, but but those are really kind of few and far between. So I don't really see maintenance changing a whole lot. Um, the one thing I would say is we're probably going to go to a different service life for the vehicle. I would say that many of the tractors being built today probably have a life of 20,000 hours. I would expect to see that probably be reduced to something in the neighborhood of five to 6,000 hours. What I continue to talk about is this kind of meeting of technical obsolescence and mechanical life or having those two lives coincide with one another. I think farmers in the future will purchase technology on agricultural field machinery to do specific jobs. And that newer technology may render the previous technologies obsolete. 
the example I always use is a smartphone. You know, we always buy new smartphones because mm-hmm. they do more. We don't necessarily buy new smartphones because the previous one quit working. And and, and so I, th- I think some of that thought is going to have to be put into some of the field machinery of the future. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I did want to again take a moment to thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Well, Scott suggested that the first machines we'll see in the field are going to be supervised autonomy with human monitoring performance. After that, he says, we can get to the point where that person is maybe watching 10 to 15 machines, potentially from any location in the world. As we learn how to react to some of these situations, that's when artificial intelligence starts to emerge in the industry, and we'll see a reduction in reliance on humans to monitor field operations. Scott suggests the progression will go from one person sitting on a machine to one person sitting in an office monitoring machine, to a person sitting in an office, maybe monitoring a dozen or two dozen machines. Let's get back to the discussion now and hear more from Scott Shearer on who will lead the artificial intelligence evolution in ag. You mentioned whether or not it's going to be more 60 or 70 horsepower machines in a field that are a lot lighter, making far less of a footprint. Uh, in that field and, and how obviously that's going to contribute as well with, with efficiency. Obviously, uh, you, I know you've spoken on kind of the compaction penalties as well with, with some of the heavy machinery. I guess in terms of kind of a timeline, and, and maybe this is from your perspective, how quickly do you see the industry kind of moving that way, you know, and, and what's it going to take to kind of, uh, you know, see a, more of an adoption or um, an interest in moving towards some of that lighter, smaller machinery than obviously what we're seeing when we seem to be going the opposite way right now. There's no question about when, when you look at manned equipment, obviously the equipment continues to get larger and larger. I think we're beginning to see some of the first, I'm not going to say commercially viable uh, machines, autonomous machines, but we're starting to see some of the first machines get close to commercial viability. I, I point to what CNH Industrial introduced here last year um, in, in terms of the Magnum tractor that was, was autonomous. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a company that I'd uh, pay some attention to, and that's Swarm Farm out of uh, Australia. Okay, Basically, they have a, a machine. Actually, they have a, a bunch of machines, but They've been doing some, some operations in, uh, in Australia, spraying operations. And, and so I encourage people to look at Swarm Farm because I, I honestly think that they could have one of the first machines that has some commercial viability. The, the, there are certainly other companies. One of the things that I really enjoy right now is what's going on in, in terms of this um, Silicon Valley approach to agriculture. And... One of the things I'll mention is Blue River was purchased by John Deere. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while that is not 
total automation of a machine, the one thing that it is doing is, and, and I point to this, and I think it becomes pretty interesting, they're recognizing weeds and only treating the weeds in a field. Definitely a lot of artificial intelligence there, but, but the potential there is pretty amazing. If you could begin to think about how we manage weeds today, and generally that's with, that's with GMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a technology that, that really could change and reshape plant genetics and, and, and how some of the co- companies are focused on these things. Um, they also report about a 95% reduction in herbicide usage and being able to still control the weeds with using only 5% of the uh, amount of chemicals that we've traditionally used. So mm-hmm. th- there are some pretty interesting things going on, I think, in that light um, that, that people need to be paying some attention to. I think it hastens the adoption of automation in a lot of other areas because this stuff becomes so mainstream. Um, the, the other thing I want to say is when you look on existing tractors, we're getting to the point where the human operator is really kind of babysitting the operation. Uh, we have automated headland turns now. Most of the major manufacturers have that. you got AB line guidance. And, and really the only thing that operator is doing is sitting in the tractor just monitoring the operation to make certain that everything is proceeding appropriately. Obviously, uh, they have the safety obligation too. But, but my point is everybody's moving in this direction. Now to the issue of, of smaller machines, my opinion has been that uh, soil quality, soil health, those are going to be the driving or influencing factors of the machinery systems of the future. And I, I honestly think we'll go to smaller machines because of the compaction penalty. And, and what I continue to get people to try to understand is a lot of farmers today don't realize the compaction penalty um, as, as it applies to the profitability of their operations. I'm not going to disagree with the fact that farmers buy larger equipment to be timely, and and Mm -hmm. that's a very important aspect in terms of profitability. But the other side of the coin is I also don't think that they realize, recognize the amount of yield reduction that is occurring because of the larger equipment. Hmm. And and that's one of the the situations we've been been trying to highlight in terms of uh, a number of the bigger machines, um, central fill planters and, and the pinch row type things, obviously the higher horsepower and, and the larger gross vehicle weights. Um, you know, one of my favorites is the, the 2,000 bushel grain cart. Mm-hmm. But, but, I think, but I think all these things are going to cause us to begin rethinking uh, how we manage soils and, and how we traffic those soils. When, and you mentioned a few of the companies that are obviously involved now in advancing some of the automation and the autonomy. When you're looking at you know whether or not it's going to be the the large ag manufacturers or perhaps the the Silicon Valley type companies, kind of taking the lead. Who do you see as emerging uh, kind of on the forefront of this? I, I would encourage people to think be thinking about the Blue River model. Okay, mm-hmm. Blue River uh, Silicon Valley startup company. Okay. Obviously, that company got to the point where it had a product that that had some commercial viability, and then a company like John Deere steps in and purchases that company. Now, in in terms of the automation, I see some similar things probably going on in in, in terms of semi-autonomous or fully autonomous equipment. Obviously, I think, you know, CNH is kind of dipping their toes in the water, so to speak, but but they have a a bit of a different, I, I think, model in terms of using existing product lines and transitioning those to fully autonomous equipment or at least supervised autonomous equipment. And, and that may well be a very uh, 
um, fruitful thing to be doing. On the other hand, I, I think it's going to be a lot of the uh, startup businesses, whether they come out of Silicon Valley, whether they come out of the Midwest. I, I point to the Sauter family and Precision Planting as being one of those startup companies that really kind of changed the way we view uh, seeding operations in, in row crop agriculture. So these companies are going to come from a lot of different places. They could come from the Midwest. They could come out of universities. They could come out of the Silicon Valley. But it, it's going to be some of these companies where they kind of have a vision, these startup companies, in, in terms of how agriculture might be reshaped. And uh, when it starts to get into the, the market share of, of some of the big equipment manufacturers, they will pay attention. And uh, they're either going to create their own products or they're going to buy up these uh, startup companies uh, much in, 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 in the way that John Deere has approached what, what's going on with Blue River. Mm-hmm. So there could be two or three lines that I see coming. The, the one thing that I will say, and this is not meant to slight anybody, please don't misunderstand me, but, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not certain that the Silicon Valley, if you would, understands Midwestern agriculture. That's, mm-hmm. that's not meant to be critical of them. It's just a fact of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they see things at times from a California perspective, and that's all well and good because, you, you know, there's there's a lot of high-value crops out there. But, but again, I'm really talking about the 200 million acres in the heartland, uh, the corn uh, and, and, and soybean-type uh, row crops. And that's going to take a bit of a different mindset in, in terms of how it's a, it's a t- much tighter margin in, in terms of productivity, but the acreage is there to support um, a, a decent market in terms of machine numbers. So are you going to build a few machines for very specialized markets, or are you going to build uh, a lot of machines for the uh, more traditional row crops? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how some of that unfolds. Well, and you mentioned, too, I mean, uh, you don't expect maybe there to be a, a tremendous uh, difference in, in kind of the service requirements or the maintenance needs, you know, if we're going to be moving toward more automation. Uh, obviously, you know, kind of the, the supervisory uh, element will, will change, you know, versus having somebody physically in the cab versus, uh, you know, somebody remotely monitoring what's going on in the field. But you did mention uh, also about, you know, maybe this, this is going to, you know, kind of perhaps change the model uh, of what we're seeing today, you know, from a distribution standpoint. But any thoughts on, you know, how you see this this supply chain kind of maybe evolving, you know, when it's going to be looking at a manufacturer down to what is today kind of the traditional farm equipment dealer and how they might be involved in kind of uh, the servicing and selling uh, of whether it's, you know, smaller, more automated equipment or, you know, if it's autonomous equipment, you know, is, is their role going to change in this equation? Uh, I'm going to say everybody's role is going to change in some form or fashion. I think we'll probably move to a time when farmers don't necessarily own the equipment. Okay. Now, will they be leasing it, managing it? Quite possibly. Will they be contracting with someone for those services? Quite possibly. Um, I, I think when you look at the logistics of, and I'm not say moving mass to the field, but really what I'm talking about is seed chemical and fertilizers. There could be some rather significant changes coming in that. Um, you know, traditionally, there's always been the local um, farm service provider, if you would, um, generally selling the chemicals, the seed, those inputs, and then also in many cases applying those. Those people, it could change a little bit in terms of who the farmers buy their inputs from. 
Um, I, I still think there's going to be local people that are going to be, I'm going to say, applying some of those inputs in the case of fertilizer, maybe even uh, spraying the crop. But, but again, some of these people may be contracting with some of these equipment companies, such as Swarm Farm, uh, to actually do the application. So it could, could get kind of interesting. You, you know, kind of the, the equipment dealership model today is, is to go to fewer uh, equipment dealers and have them do greater volumes in terms of um, the sales of new equipment. Now, generally, the way that's happening is is um, that there are some rather large dealerships evolving where they're buying up some of the smaller uh, independent dealerships, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that trend's going to change much, other than the fact that we could get to a situation where a lot of the equipment's direct marketed um, to the end user. And, mm-hmm. and so that could change things a bit. Um, I think it's going to be essential with supervised autonomous equipment to have service available 24-7. And, uh, you know, farmers aren't going to to go for this thing. My tractor's been down for two days because I can't get somebody to come out and service it. (laughs) On, on, On the other hand, one of the things that could be kind of interesting is with smaller equipment, you'll be able to warehouse all the parts essentially in the bed of a pickup truck. And, and so that changes the dynamic a bit in terms of being able to service the needs of, um, uh, I'm going to say, a larger fleet numbers-wise of much smaller equipment. So it, there's going to be some interesting opportunities in rural America for new businesses, if you want to think of it that way. And, and these are going to be technology-based businesses. So it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how things unfold. Well, thank you, Scott, for sharing your insight and forecast for the application of artificial intelligence in agriculture. I'd like to again recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to email me at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. Also, I'll look for you at the upcoming Precision Farming Dealer Summit, January 8th and 9th in Louisville. Again, the theme of this dealer-only event is bridging the precision profitability gap and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Space is limited, and you can visit precisionfarmingdealersummit.com for more information and program updates. You can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free daily email update. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on December 6th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series. And I look forward to seeing you in Louisville this coming January at the third Precision Farming Dealer Summit. For Scott Shearer, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.